This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. one 800 913 and go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. That is America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Happy Saturday. I hope you have a, uh, a meaningful Memorial Day weekend. We're going to do this coming up at the bottom of the hour. I want to share an amazing story about, uh, about a veteran. Before we get to that, though, I want to talk about how we watch news. Have you ever heard of the word KFAB? Excuse me. KFABE. Apologize. KFABE. KFABE is a wrestling term, professional wrestling, for the difference between real life and living in character. So if you're in character, then you are maintaining KFABE. If you're out of character, then you are breaking Kayfabe. By the way, prior, so 1938 and so prior to 1938, newspapers published the results of wrestling matches. So like there's the there's the baseball scores, there's your basketball scores, there's your professional wrestling matches, there's your tennis score. I mean, like it was just like a normal that was all the way till 1938. It wasn't too long ago. So so then after that, 1938, then everyone's like, oh, it's fake, it's fake, it's fake. And I remember growing up, people saying, oh, you know, wrestling's fake, as if, it, as if not everyone knew that, right? Like, why would you have to say that? Uh, you know, there's such thing as gravity. I mean, like, huh? So, like, oh, you know, you know, it's fake. It's totally fake, right? You know that, right? And for a long time, the, the WWE tried to say that it wasn't. And people would be like, oh, no, look, he barely, he barely hit him. And look, he fell over. He barely, t- barely touched him. It was just a couple years ago when Vince McMahon, the head of WWE, said, all right, fine, enough with this. Of course it's fake, but we're going to call it sports entertainment. We're not going to pretend it's real anymore. We're going to embrace it's an act. We're going to ramp up the storylines. We're going to make it a male soap opera. Sports entertainment. So John Daly wrote an article the other day saying that there's sports and there's sports entertainment. Similarly, there's news and there's news entertainment. And we should watch news entertainment with the same posture, the same attitude that we watch sports entertainment. Rarely, first of all, but, but most of all, with an attitude of, oh, like, this isn't real, but I'll watch it. I mean, it's kind of entertaining. 
That's how we should watch news entertainment. That same, like, oh, like I know this isn't the full story. I know that clearly don't have enough information. I know the context isn't being properly provided. I know there's a lot more truth to it that no one's sharing, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it. And not get emotional over it. Like, no one really gets emotional over WWE. I mean, there's big fans and stuff, but they know it's not real, so it's not that big of a deal. And it should really be the same thing with anything you see on news entertainment. It's, it's entertainment. There's, there's good guys and bad guys. In wrestling, they're called faces and heels. There are storylines. There's teams. There's conflict. There's intrigue. It's just a it's soap opera. WWE is a soap opera, and the news, news entertainment is a soap opera. It's just one big soap opera, which is fine. But the problem is when people think it's real and people think it's all there is to know. And I think people who think that news entertainment is real need to be shown the truth about it in the same way you would explain to someone that wrestling isn't real either. I think it's a good thing that the illusion of wrestling is gone because now you can appreciate it for the rest of its athleticism. Right, because it's still you're still jumping around and lifting people up. I mean, it's still, it's still a thing. Uh, so, like, you can appreciate that. You can you can watch the storyline and enjoy that, but you don't have to pretend like it's it's really happening and they really hate each other or whatever. And I think that's actually good. But what I want is the illusion of news entertainment to go away as well. Let me share one last story here about the lengths people will go or people went through to keep up the illusion of kayfabe. So there's a wrestling manager back in the eighties and he talked about going, uh, there was a, you know, a wrestling match and then they went to the bar in the hotel and you had the good guys and the bad guys all hanging out together at the bar, just like as regular people and a group of wrestling fans walked in and here's the manager. He says, they saw us all together. And our first thought was that they would think we all hang out together and we needed to protect the business. That's the key line. We'll get back to that. We needed to protect the business. So for some reason, we all started fighting each other. So think about this. You got The Undertaker and The Big Show who hate each other in the wrestling match. And then afterwards, they're with all the other wrestlers and they're at a bar and they're drinking, having a good time. You got The Undertaker and The Big Show. And they're just sitting there, you know, Jim and, and Mark and uh, hanging out as Jim and Mark. And then some wrestling fans walk, walk in. And then all of a sudden, Mark turns into The Undertaker and Jim turns into The Big Show and they start beating each other up right in the bar. There we were, 30 guys in the hall hitting each other, working punches. We turned around and there was no one there. They were on the elevator and could not have cared less. I had a big knot in my head from a cribbage board. Another guy hurt his knee. We thought we were keeping them from being smart, but I think it was the other way around. So, so look at the lengths that they went through, that these wrestlers went through to keep the kayfabe up, to keep the illusion. Because the illusion was their livelihood. That was the business. I think it's the same with the media today. The lengths that they will go to keep their relevance, the things they'll make up, the stories they'll exaggerate, the lengths they'll go to to keep up the illusion that they are trustworthy and important. Example the other day, I know we quickly brought it up a couple segments ago, but the CBO score, the Congressional Budget Office score of Obamacare, that's that's just a storyline in the news entertainment, or I should say that's just a, a, a little plot twist in the news entertainment storyline. 
there's nothing important about a CBO score. And we talked about the drastic flaws to it earlier. It's, it's a pretty meaningless thing. But it kind of adds to the storyline, adds to the drama. It's an excuse to have a couple people come on TV and yell at each other. And that's it. So I guess in wrestling, it would be you have your storyline, you have Triple H and uh, uh, I don't know, name another wrestler, Kane going at it. And then Triple H finds a chair underneath the mat and hits Kane with it. I mean, like that, that's like the CBO score is the chair, right? So it's, just, it's like something, but it's not a huge deal. And then it goes away the next day. Kind of fit in the storyline. So, all right, fine. I'll use the chair. Someone, I was t- talking about this on my local show the other day and someone called in and said, Slater, why did the news not talk about, the national news not talk about the state trooper who was killed in Delaware? Uh, it's because it, it's not, it doesn't fit the storyline. Because that, that person was confusing news entertainment with news. News would talk about the state trooper being killed. News entertainment would not because it doesn't fit the storyline of the day. It's not about Trump and Russia or whatever the storyline is. I'll give you another example. Uh, did you know that just the other day, a bunch of terrorists opened fire, in, opened fire in Egypt and killed 25 Christians. They were going to church. These Christians were going to church. They killed 25 Christians. They injured 24 more. That it, I, I, didn't, I didn't know about it just by watching news entertainment because that's all it was, news entertainment. It didn't fit the storyline. You have to actually read the news in order to find stories like that. Does that make sense? So I, my point is that we need to watch TV. Really, it's all everything on TV is news entertainment. That's pretty much my point. Almost everything. And it's frustrating because where is the real news? And like, it's kind of there somewhere. I mean, there's bits of news in the news entertainment, just like there is real athleticism in wrestling. But that's the key. It's finding the real news in the news entertainment. And as I said earlier, if you watch wrestling today, you can say, wow, that was really impressive that that guy was able to pick up that other 300-pound guy and spin him around like that and not die. So there's realness in there somewhere. You just got to wade through it all to find it. I don't know. It changes how I view news. It's just news entertainment. But now you got to take the extra length to actually find the news. one 888 I want to come back with a uh, clip of a professor that uh, he's talking about the point of college and it's spectacular. You will love it. I played it on my local show. People freaked out about it. It's fantastic. I'll play it next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951.
Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, I love this clip. This is Professor Jordan Peterson speaking at Harvard. Uh, he's a professor in Toronto now, I think. About a year or so ago, he became popular and noteworthy because he said he's not playing the game with the transgender movement of the Z and all these made-up words and calling men women and all the rest. Because Canada was passing a law. I don't know if they did, but a law that said it would be illegal to call someone by the incorrect preferred pronoun, pronoun, which, by the way, is against the law in New York City. But this is what he said. He said, I will never use words I hate, like the trendy and artificially constructed words Z and Zer. I've been studying authoritarianism on the right and the left for 35 years. I wrote a book on the topic, which explores how ideologies hijack language and belief. As a result of my studies, I've come to believe that Marxism is a murderous ideology. I believe its practitioners in modern universities should be ashamed of themselves for continuing to promote such vicious, untenable, and anti-human ideas and for indoctrinating their students with these beliefs. I am therefore not going to mouth Marxist words. That would make me a puppet of the radical left, and that's not going to happen, period. So that's this guy. Or I should say, this is that guy. And this is five minutes. It's really good. It's part of a larger Q&A about postmodernism and neo-Marxism, which uh, it's a two-hour video. Uh, we will play clips of that, uh, more of it soon. But this part here is worth playing right now. Here it is. Dr. Peterson, you mentioned these ideas of responsibility, of virtue, of respect. You've, I think, detailed what you think students shouldn't do in these examples of like protests and these examples of certain types of activist tactics. What advice would you have for students? How can students make the changes that they want to make? Particularly, do you have any advice for students here? Yeah, read great books. Mm -hmm. Really, man. You've got this four-year period that, that has been carved out of your lives by society. They, they, it's, it's given you an identity, like a high-quality identity and freedom at the same time. And you're not going to get that again in your life. You've got a You've got a respectable identity, university student, and complete freedom associated with that, or as near as you're ever going to get. And you've got these unbelievable libraries that are full of the writings of people mm -hmm. who, are, who are intelligent and articulate beyond comprehension. And you, know, and, and you can go there and you can learn all this. And you might think, well, why should you learn it? Um, well, you, you learn it to get a job, or you learn it to get good grades, or you learn it to get a degree. And that's all nonsense. It's nonsense. The reason that you come to university to be educated is because there is nothing more powerful than someone who is articulate and who can think and speak. It's power, and I mean power of the best sort. It's authority and influence and respectability and competence. And so you come to university to craft your highest skill, and your highest skill is to be found in articulated speech. And if you're, if you're, if you're a master at formulating your arguments, you win everything. And better than that, when you win everything, everyone around you wins too. Because to transform yourself into, let's consider, consider your transformation into something approximating the logos, it means you shine a light on the whole world. Well, there's nothing more exciting to do than that. There's nothing better you can possibly do. And to think that you're coming to university to be you know, trained to have a job, it's like, great, that's a hell of a lot better than being unemployed and covered with Cheeto dust while you're <laughs> snacking away in front of your video game in the basement. But it's not, it's not a, and I don't have anything against video games, by the way. But, it, it, <laughs> but it's hardly a triumphant call to, to being in the world. And that's what universities should be calling forth. It's like, God, you people, you, you know, I, I know what Harvard students are like. I taught here for five years. You people are spectacular. 
You're spectacular. You're, 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 you're all capable of being world beaters. You transform yourself into something that's articulated and sensible and grounded in history and knowledgeable and wise, man. You can do anything you want and hopefully anything you want for good. Because if you have any sense, everything you want to do would be for the good. Because there's nothing more compelling or meaningful or, or useful in combating the tragedy of life than to, than to struggle with all your soul on behalf of the good. And the universities have forgotten that. It's why everyone's bailing out of the humanities. And they should. The humanities are corrupt. And they're corrupt because they're not telling students this. It's so bloody obvious. It's like, learn to think. Learn to speak. Learn to read. It makes you a superpower. An individual superpower. You have, it, it, and I don't understand why that isn't just told to students. It's not that hard to understand, and everyone wants to hear it. It's like, really? I could do that? I could do that? It's like, yeah, really, you could do that. And the whole society around you has labored for really thousands of years to provide every single one of you with this spectacular opportunity that you have while you're undergraduates and graduate students here. Man, they're just, everyone's just praying that you would come here and manifest everything that you could manifest. And that's what you should be doing instead of waving placards and complaining about how you're oppressed, for God's sake. You see these Yale students complaining about their oppression. It's just, it just leaves me aghast. Mm. It's like, well, we're against the ruling class. It's like, no, 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 you're baby ruling class <laughs> members. You're young. <laughs> The only reason you're not rich is because you're young. You know, that's the best, really, that's the, if you look at the 1% even, the, the dreaded 1%, you know, most of those people are old. Why? Well, when you progress through life, if you're reasonably successful, you trade in your promising youth for your wealthy old age, but you're still bloody old. Would you, <laughs> would you trade it? Would you trade your youth for that? Like, if you factor age out of the economic equation, things look a lot different. Well, of course older people have more money. If they have any sense, they've been collecting it for their whole life. Is that somehow unfair? It's not unfair unless you want to want to be poverty-stricken when you're 70. And you, and you don't want to be poverty-stricken when you're 70. So, I just don't understand what's happened to the universities. I can't mm -hmm. believe that you're not told when you come the first day, look, man, you are, you're here on a heroic mission you're going to take your capacity to articulate yourself to levels that are undreamed of. You're going to come out of here unstoppable. You're going to be able to do anything you want. It's like, that's what you're here for. Mm -hmm. Instead, you're taught that, well, you know, the world's a pretty oppressive place, and you're probably the bottom of the victim pile, and, 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 there's, and there's, oh, there's virtually nothing you could do about it except, you know, deconstruct the patriarchy. And it's so weak deed and so pathetic that, that, that universities should be embarrassed that that's what they're peddling to students. I'm embarrassed by it. You know, I've, I've gone on public record telling parents, bloody well send your boys to trade school because at least they'll learn something useful. And that's a terrible thing for someone like me to say because I do believe that, the art, that being articulated and educated in the highest possible manner is there's nothing that's better for you and for society. Mm -hmm. And why, are the, why have the universities forgotten this? Well, that's postmodern neo-Marxism for you, you know. That, then the philosophy of intense resentment and oppression and group identity and God, it's just mm. pathetic. Not perfect. That's on our uh, Twitter. It's a couple tweets ago, so just go to Slater Radio and you can see it there. 
on Twitter. I love this. Your highest skill is articulated speech. If you are a master at formulating your arguments, then you win everything. I love when he said to the, you know, to these kids at Harvard that society has labored for thousands of years to give you students this opportunity and it's wasted. It's wasted. Almost every student wasted. I wasted it. My friends wasted it. We wish we could go back again and do the whole college thing again and actually learn things this time. But, but I don't even want to go back now because it's a totally different school. I missed the boat. Because instead of, of going to, to a school today and, and, and being told that you were on a heroic mission, instead you're told that the purpose of college is, is to teach you that you are the lowest on the victim pile and that you won't amount to anything. And life is meaningless anyway. Who wants to be a part of that? Wouldn't you rather be on a heroic mission? That's what college used to be about, not anymore. What a shame. one 888 We're going to come back. Um, I'll share the story, I promise. Of uh... This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Slater. Slater Slater, I want to dedicate this uh, this segment to, or because I, would, I wanted to give the segment because it's Memorial Day weekend, June nineteen sixty five. Two Navy planes in North Vietnam. One of the pilots was Lieutenant Commander Frederick Crosby of San Diego. Now this day there was a lot of cloud cover, so these two pilots had to fly low. But the enemy was waiting, and they were ready. And they fired all they had at the Americans. Crosby's plane was hit. He crashed. And never heard from again. Crosby was a father of four. Listed as killed in action. Because the other pilots saw what happened, but they never found his body. Imagine his wife. Four kids. And, and not only that, but, but never really sure. Ne- ne- the lack of closure. Deborah was the only daughter. She was six when dad died. Now, not only did she not really know her dad, right? She was only six, but every Memorial Day, when families go to grave sites, she has nowhere to go. Her family, they, ne- they never talked about it. I mean, it's all they thought about every Memorial Day, obviously, was dad. But they never talked about it. Deborah said, my dad's plane was shot down, and that's the end of the story. And he's there. I mean, like, he's over there. That's always hurt me. But check this out. Yesterday... 
a flag-draped coffin was in the back of an airplane that landed at the San Diego airport. Yesterday at noon, this, this uh, airplane landed. And in the back was a flag-draped coffin ready for a burial site. How? How did Deborah bring her dad home? She never gave up. She worked with the Department of Defense to find his remains. Now, when she started, everyone told her, uh, don't get your hopes up. There's probably nothing left to recover. And she worked through the bureaucracy. Could you imagine working through that bureaucracy? I mean, but she didn't. She did most of it herself. She contacted the Library of Congress. She found declassified documents. She found the coordinates of the crash site. She mapped it out on Google. She reached out to the people who lived there. This is North Vietnam. She reached out to the people who lived there. And the people there said, yeah, there's, there's actually this, this field out here and there's an area in the field where the grass doesn't grow. And we heard that the grass doesn't grow there because there was a plane crash and there's a lot of fuel in the ground and it made the ground so that grass can't grow anymore. So she went to Vietnam and she found an 89-year-old resident there and she's like, do you, do you know anything about a plane crash there? And he goes in his house and he brings out a piece of broken glass. And he says, yeah, this is from that plane. He was there. He saw the plane crash. Not only did he see it crash, he was splashed with mud when the plane landed. That's how close he was to it. Well, that was enough for the Department of Defense. So they went to Vietnam. They excavated the land. And they, they sifted through the mud. This happened two years ago. So 50 years later, 50 years after his plane crashed, in the mud, in the muck, in a random field in North Vietnam where the grass doesn't grow and hasn't grown since, they found Frederick Crosby's wedding ring. You imagine. And they also found, well, they found that first, and then they kept digging, kept sifting. And they found some bone fragments. And they matched up the DNA from the bone fragments with, with Crosby's sister, Deborah's aunt. And it was a match. And Frederick Crosby's remains came home yesterday. More than 1,600 Americans who served during Vietnam are still missing. 1,600. We've recovered the remains of 1,035 men from that area. Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia. Isn't it amazing that there's people in the Department of Defense who are working on this. This one task alone is bringing back these men. So there's a gravesite now in San Diego. There's a tombstone. And it has the name of Crosby's wife, Mary. 
She died in 2002. She never remarried. Now on the tombstone underneath her name, it says, Wherest thou goest, so go I. She wore a pendant around her neck ever since her husband died, and that's what the pendant said. Wherest thou go, so go I. On his side of the headstone, it says Lieutenant Commander Frederick Crosby. He is home. I want to play Taps. I want to play Taps right now. Taps today is dedicated on this Memorial Day weekend to all the service members who paid the ultimate price, especially to those who aren't yet home. Radio Network. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater is on. Slater, I hope you uh, have a really meaningful uh, Memorial Day. Take some time out. Go to one of the services nearby. Uh, on my local show, right after the terrorist attack, I, I tried to articulate some feelings. And the next day, I read some other people who did a better job of this than me. And it was nice because I I wasn't the only one who felt this way. Uh, frustration with the routine. What routine? The, the, the post-terrorist attack routine. We, we just all do the same thing over and over again as if it makes a difference. We do the Facebook flag filter. Uh, we light up some buildings. Now we turn off the lights in buildings, right? We t- they, they turned off the lights of the Eiffel Tower and the Coliseum. And people draw hearts and chalk on sidewalks. And somewhere there's a random piano on some public park and someone plays imagine around it and people think it's amazing they weep and politicians hold hands on the steps of some building somewhere and people pray to gods they don't believe in and do this whole oh uh, you know we denounce this cowardly we're, we're, we will be strong together but at the same time the media is going to tell us that this attack or sorry this explosion or just a random explosion right this random explosion could, cre- could cause some anti-Islamic backlash. And that is even more tragic than the explosion itself. And that should really be the focus of our outrage. And I, I like that. It happens every time. And I'm over it. I'm, I'm completely over this whole routine. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be part of it anymore. I want to quote Declination here. And 
he talks about the um you know the, this line that progressives give that not all Muslims are terrorists or not all Muslims are like this, and it's like yeah, okay, great, yeah, obviously not all Muslims are like this. Everyone's on a scale, right? Some Muslims love peace, some want to kill the infidels. But even among those who want to kill the infidels, not everyone's willing to strap on a bomb and blow themselves up, right? So it's all on a scale. The problem isn't that all Muslims believe in you know killing the infidel. The problem is that enough of them do. Not that all of them do, but enough of them do. Pew, uh, it's probably the uh, most trusted worldwide polling, polling service, Pew Research. And they asked a question. This was three years ago. Now, this is 2014. And the, the question was, suicide bombers can be often, sometimes, rarely, or never justified against civilian targets in order to defend Islam from its enemies. So suicide bombers are blank justified, always, some, or often, sometimes, never, rarely, or never. Suicide bombers are justified against civilian targets in order to defend Islam from its enemies. So they ask these to people in different countries. So these are the percentage of people who answered often or sometimes justified. Suicide bombers justified in killing often or sometimes justified in killing civilians in the name of Islam. Palestine, 46%. Lebanon, 29%. Egypt, 24%. One in four. Turkey, 18%. Jordan, 15%. Bangladesh, for some reason, 47%. Those don't include the rarely, which is another 10 to 20% of Muslims. But be like, how could, and rarely, oh yeah, suicide bombers, you know, rarely justified, but you know, like, <laughs> sometimes they are, right? Could you imagine that if I, Christians, I said, you know, um, you know fellow Christians, uh, suicide bombers can be sometimes justified against, you know, blowing up civilian targets in order to defend Christianity from its enemies. What do you think? So, no, I'm going to go never. And I don't know any Christian who would say otherwise. So are all Muslims around the world extremists? No. Of course not. That's It's such a straw man argument that progressives even throw up. Like, oh, not everyone is. But enough are. So let's be conservative. Let's be very conservative here. Let's say 10 to 20%. I'm, oh, I'm being, I'm being nice here. Let's say 10 to 20% of Muslims around the world heard about the Ariana Grande terrorist attack and that this, this Muslim killed 22 people. 10 to 20% of people, 20, 10 to 20% of Muslims think that's a good thing. Now, we reject that. And people say that that can't, that can't be true because we can't fathom it. You can't wrap your head around that. That anyone would think this is a good thing. So because you can't wrap your head around it, you say, oh, well, no one could ever think that way. They do. Now, it's good that you can't fathom it. You shouldn't be able to fathom it. Like, thank you for not being able to fathom that anyone thinks that's a good thing. But now let's go a little deeper and deal with reality because they do. I'd say there are many people around the world who looked at the terrorist attack the other day and said, good. Praise Allah. Did every Muslim? No. Did your Muslim neighbor? No. Did your Muslim friend? No. Did the uh, Muslims at the mosque down the street from where I am right now at this radio station, did they all praise? No. But enough of them did. Enough of them did.
you know, feminists preach about the, the patriarchal society and how it's toxic and dangerous. And the feminists will, will go on this crusade against men. And they'll say, well, of course, not all men are rapists, but enough of them are. They'll say enough men are rapists. Because even though a tiny percentage of men are rape, all the rest are silent or complicit in some way or a part of the patriarchy. Now, I would argue that way less than 20% of men either rape or think it's okay to rape or thinks it's sometimes or even rarely acceptable to rape. Which is way less than Muslims who think suicide bombings are okay. But for feminists, enough men is as bad as all men. And I'm here just making the argument, same thing, really. It's not that all Muslims are terrorists, but enough of them are. And way more than men are rapists. Much higher percentage. Let's keep that in mind. Use that argument when someone says, well, not all terrorists. Yeah, yeah, not all Muslims are terrorists. Thank you very much, Einstein. But enough of them are. That's the problem. Slater Crusaders, uh, Slater Radio on Twitter. We can hang out during the week and you can uh, like us on Facebook as well. I'd appreciate that. I hope you have a, a really wonderful Memorial Day weekend. And by wonderful, I mean uh, meaningful, significant. Uh, take some time. Teach your kids about what it's really all about. Of course, it's not Veterans Day. It's Memorial Day. Very good. And we'll see you next week at Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.